Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's wonderful to see some faces uh, and to know some are watching online. Um, as we begin, why don't we uh, commit our time to God in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. Please, by your spirit, uh, speak to each one of our hearts. Uh, Help us to see your holiness, uh, that we might respond rightly to it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, uh, last week, Jeff began the service by reading from Isaiah 6. And he read these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now this word holy, uh, it's a word we use often, uh, and it means to be set apart, to be pure, to be free from sin. All of these definitions are are part of what it means to be holy. Uh, And I want to start this morning by asking a question. How is God's holiness influencing your life? How is God's holiness influencing your life? Is it something that you reflect on regularly? Or maybe something you reflect on once in a while? Or perhaps it's something that you rarely think about? This morning we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Leviticus that helps us think about the impact of God's holiness in our lives. Now, generally speaking, Leviticus is not a part of the Bible that that people rush to. Uh, In fact, many don't go there at all, which is unfortunate because it's a book that has a lot to say to God's people. Uh, I wonder what, what comes to mind when you think of the book of Leviticus. Maybe you're one of those rare people who actually enjoy it. Maybe it's a, a book that you've never got round to looking at. Or a book that you tend to avoid. Confusing, repetitive, boring, too many laws, out of date. Maybe it reminds you of those failed attempts to read the whole Bible in a year. You get through Genesis, you get through Exodus, and then Leviticus hits you. Uh, And that's the end of that. I've been there. Uh, And it's a great shame, because Leviticus has a lot to say to God's people about his grace towards them. And its greatest concern is with how a holy God paves a way to live in the midst of an unholy people. God graciously acts to allow this relationship, and Israel is given a chance to grow this relationship by responding to him. Now Leviticus chapters 8 to 10 tell us about the the beginning of the priesthood. Uh, And this morning we're going to be looking particularly at chapter 10. The setting is probably Just a few months after the Exodus, God has just rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. But the problem stopping this relationship between God and his people from developing is that the Israelites are unholy. They're sinful people, unable to be in the presence of a holy God and survive. They will surely die. And so God lovingly makes a way for his people to be able to become holy and be in his presence. And he does this through priests. That's what Leviticus 8 to 10 is all about, the beginning of the priesthood. Uh, Chapters 8 and 9 set up chapter 10, so so let me just quickly explain what's going on in those chapters, and then we can read chapter 10. 
Uh, so chapter 8, in a nutshell, it's all about the ordination of Aaron and his four sons as priests. Moses has called all of Israel together. There's even more people there than there were at Jay's ordination as bishop, believe it or not. And God has chosen Aaron for this role of high priest. Moses ordains Aaron, and the the whole ceremony is characterized by this one phrase. They did as the Lord commanded. That, That comes up something like eight times in the chapter. They are careful to obey God. And that's exactly the right response when God graciously acts towards you. Obedience. Uh, And now the the big aim of this ordination is to deal with the sin of the priests. Their sin needs to be paid for, and so there's sacrifices made to pay for the sin of Aaron and his sons. The priests, a priest can't mediate between God and his people unless his sin is paid for. And so Ordination is about making amends for their sin, setting them apart for this task. Uh, and so on one hand, you've got the priests who are, who are just like the Israelites. They're, they're sinful, they're unholy, can't be in God's presence. But through the ceremony, their sin is atoned for. It's paid for, and the priests can now begin to meditate, uh, mediate between God and his people. So that's chapter 8. And then chapter 9 sees the beginning of the priesthood, the beginning of Aaron and his son's ministry as priests. And their role is to enable God to be, enable Israel to be in God's presence without being consumed. Now, once again, Moses and Aaron respond to God's grace by obeying him. Chapter 9 has, has one main goal, and that is for the Lord's glory to appear before his people without consuming them. And so the the priests, they offer the sacrifices for the Israelites to pay for their sin uh, and make them holy. And fortunately, it works, and the glory of the Lord appears to all of Israel. Fire consumes the offering, and they all fall face down in worship of God. Doesn't sound very um, Anglican. Uh, And and so the, the priesthood has worked. The end. Well, Well, not quite. Uh, because that brings us to chapter 10, and and Tim's going to now come up and read that for us. Yes, so that's... uh, Oh, good morning, church fam, and living on the camera. Uh, So Leviticus 10, at the start of the Bible, between uh, Exodus and Numbers, for those playing at home, which is admittedly most of you. Uh, Leviticus 10. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censors put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elazaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uzziel, and he said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside of the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eliza and Ithamar, 
Do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives and all the house of Israel may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Uh, Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting, or you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. And then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given to them through Moses. Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eliza and Ithamar, Take the grain offering, left over from the offerings made to the Lord by fire, and eat it, prepared without yeast beside the altar, for it is most holy. Eat it in a holy place, because it is your share and your son's share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire, for I have so been commanded. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a ceremonially clean place. They have been given to you and your children as your share of the Israelites' fellowship offerings. The thigh that was presented and the breast that was waved must be bought with the fat portions of the offerings made by fire uh, to be waved before the Lord as a wave offering. This will be the regular share for you and your children, as the Lord has commanded. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burnt up, he was angry with Eliza and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as I commanded. Aaron replied to Moses, Today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such things as this happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Thanks, Tim. Do keep that passage open if you have a Bible. So we're going to uh, work our way through the chapter by looking at three main scenes and, uh, that, w- that we see in the passage, and then we're going to think about uh, what a passage like this might have to say to us uh, so long after it actually took place. Well, the first scene is in verses 1 to 3, and we see a failure to handle holy things. The elation from, from chapter 9 turns to despair as Nadab and Abihu present unauthorized fire before the Lord. In an instant, the same fire, which had just been a sign of God's approval as it consumed the offering, now becomes a sign of judgment as it consumes Nadab and Abihu on the spot. You'll notice that we're not actually given much detail about what was wrong with offering this fire or why they did it. All we're told is that it was unauthorized fire and contrary to what God commanded. 
The priests had been so careful to this point, but this one slip-up costs Nadab and Abihu their lives. Uh, And it seems like a, a little bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? I mean, the lack of detail makes it hard to know what their intentions were. We feel like we want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, Moses explains uh, this to his brother. He says, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all my people. See, when God reveals his glory, his holiness is either a sign of approval to his people or a sign of judgment upon them. Now, in this case, it's clearly the latter. Now, scene two contains the aftermath of it all. In verses 4 to 15, uh, in these verses we see even more clearly the role of the priests. They're responsible for handling the holy things that have been set apart by God. In verses 4, verse 13 and 14, the priests are responsible for the holy space. Moses realises this and so he orders the removal of the dead bodies. In verses 4 and 5, the priests themselves have been made holy so they can't even touch the dead bodies or they will become unclean. In verse 6, we see that their clothes are holy. Uh, Back then they would tear their clothes as a sign of mourning. It's quite quite an expensive way to mourn. But if they do that, God is going to be angry with the whole community. In verse 7, the oil on them is holy as well, uh, so they can't go outside this tent or they will die. Then in verses 12 to 15, the offerings that they make and that they eat are holy as well. Now this can seem like a a completely different world to us, to what we're used to, uh, because for us things like clothes or, or food or parts of a room or oil are no more holy than my left shoe. But back then, you see that the priests, they had this big responsibility when it came to handling these holy things, both for their own sakes and for the sake of the community. Uh, Now in verse 8, God speaks directly to Aaron for the first time in the book of Leviticus. And he gives Aaron three commands. Don't drink on the job, distinguish between holy and common things, clean and unclean, and teach. Now all three of these things show us more about the role of Aaron and his sons. Firstly, the, the command not to drink in this holy space. Now, it is possible that alcohol could have been what caused Nadab and Abihu to act as they did. It is the the first thing that God says to Aaron. Alcohol impairs, and so the priests are to be sober-minded in their role. Secondly, distinguishing between what is holy and not holy, clean and unclean. And this sums up how how they are to handle holy things. They fail to distinguish and it costs them their lives. Now, this word distinguish, it's the, it's the same word that describes what God does in Genesis when he creates the world. God distinguishes between the day and the night, between the waters and the sky. <clears throat> there is no crossover. There's no ambiguity. There is a clear separation. And so it is to be with the priests. They are to distinguish between what is holy and what is not. And so this is black and white. There's no grey area. 
And thirdly, they're to teach the Israelites God's statutes that were given to them through Moses. Teach them how they can relate to a holy God. Aaron and his sons are given that responsibility as well. And so it's, it's a huge privilege for a priest because they're able to be directly in the presence of God, but this is also a, a serious responsibility. When you're handling these holy things, you best get it right. A mistake here isn't, a, isn't like a mistake in everyday life. It's not like with children where making mistakes is actually how they learn. A mistake as a priest will cost you and potentially the whole community. So the role of the priest has been clearly laid out by God. But then there's still time for one more final controversy uh, in the final scene of the passage in verses 16 to 20. Some time has passed and, and Moses questions Aaron why Aaron and his sons haven't eaten one of the offerings but instead burnt it up. Now at this point you think, really? Have they, have they learned nothing from this whole ordeal? Are they about to face God's judgment just like Nadab and Abihu? The same fate for wrongly handling holy things. Laren responds by pointing out that it's not been a good day for him. Anyone who's ever suddenly lost a loved one will know something of his grief. He's lost two sons. It was supposed to be a joyous occasion, but it's become anything but. Charles Dickens' words sum up Aaron's day quite beautifully. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But Aaron's response is encouraging. Despite what's happened, he seems to understand the weight of this relationship with God and that doing right by God is important. And so he recognises it's not right for him to eat the offering in light of what's happened that day. Perhaps he felt it would have been hypocritical to eat it uh, in the midst of his grief. And so they burn the offering instead. And Moses happily accepts the explanation and there's no judgment from God. But you might be wondering, why was Aaron's disobedience here allowed by God? I mean, he didn't do what Moses said. Uh, And it's a good question to ask. Aaron's clearly done what God didn't command, just like his sons did. So why no judgment? Well, if we look closely at the text, it seems Aaron is more concerned with humbly honouring God than his sons were. We're not told uh, exactly what Nadab and Abihu's motivations were, but we are told about Aaron. In verse 19, he's concerned for God's holiness and with being acceptable in the Lord's sight. And so Moses accepts the explanation and and the priesthood is set to continue on. There we go. So what what is this section in Leviticus teaching us as God's people, uh, as part of the church at St. Stephen's this morning? How do we make sense of this Old Testament passage that seems so removed from us? Well, I think we've seen that the, the role of the priest was incredibly difficult. Nadab and Abihu are a testament to this. A failure to recognize God's holiness could jeopardize the relationship between God and his people. Aaron started to understand this and and his desire to please God pointed to this. In the New Testament, Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus, representing us uh, and enabling 
our relationship with God. He was truly concerned for God's holiness and so he obeyed him, even to the point of death on the cross so that the relationship between God and his people would never be jeopardised again. And of course we can all share in that relationship through faith in Christ. So there isn't need for these multiple priests as there once was because Jesus is our high priest. But in the New Testament, we still have a priestly role to play. In 1 Peter 2, God's people are referred to as a royal priesthood who are to proclaim God's praises to the world around us. So if you're a Christian, you're a part of this royal priesthood. We represent God to those around us. We're graciously included by God in the task of making him known. Uh, And as you witness to those around you, your concern for God's holiness will influence how you witness to them. I asked earlier, how is God's holiness influencing your life? You've been set apart for God's purposes. You are being made more and more holy by him. God is, is graciously using you to testify to those around you. And so in response to God's grace, there's a call on your lives to obey God, to distinguish between what is holy and what is not. And that means our lives are to be distinctive, not removed from the world around us, but distinct. Uh, There's a picture about to come up on the screen now. Uh, And this is a picture of the salt flats in Bolivia, uh, where the salt on the ground and the rainwater causes this amazing reflection, sometimes making it look like the waters and the sky merge into one. Now, when you look at across the horizon in the right conditions, it makes it hard to tell where the water stops and the sky begins. There's a lack of distinction or, or separation. Sometimes our, our role of distinguishing between what is holy and what is not, what's pointing others to Christ and what is not, probably looks a bit like this. No distinction. Sometimes we do things and and say things and think things that are similar to people who don't know Christ. Uh, And I think the reason is that we don't have a big enough view of God's holiness. Uh, I know personally when when I first read this passage, I was shocked by the outcome. What Nadab and Abihu did, it, it didn't seem that bad. It didn't seem malicious. Perhaps you felt a similar thing as you heard what happened. But Nadab and Abihu disobeyed God. Their response to his grace was disobedience. Uh, And like Nadab and Abihu, we can make a similar mistake. We can forget that God is holy. We forget that he's been gracious to us. Uh, And we do things that disobey his word. God's holiness is is seen to be a consuming fire in this passage. Well, fortunately for us, through Christ, we we are not consumed by God's holiness. We don't see God strike us down on the spot for failing to live distinctive lives. But because God doesn't consume us instantly, we start to get complacent. uh, And we misread God's mercy towards us as a reason to blend in with the world around us and to disobey God. 
But God has a, a greater desire for us. As witnesses to the world around us, he wants us to be distinctive. At home, in the workplace, uh, with our friends, in our marriages, in our singleness, in our widowhood, in our relationships uh, with those who we get along with, with those who we disagree with, as we relate to those who don't yet know Christ, distinguish between what is holy and what is not. With your thoughts, with your words, with your actions, not because you're seeking personal gain, but because you are concerned for God's glory. Uh, I'm aware many people are feeling knocked about by some of the challenges of the the past months uh, and even years in some cases. Uh, And not being able to meet this morning might have added to that feeling. But there's an encouragement for us here in Aaron's response to his hardship. I mean, he's he's just lost two sons, but he hasn't forgotten God's grace towards him. And neither should we. If you're, if you're struggling to live a distinctive life, start by reminding yourself of God's grace towards you. Read about the lengths he went to to make you holy. Read about our sinless saviour who died to make unholy people like you and me holy. The lengths he went to to give us deep relationship with God. Ask God to give you a desire to please him. Let that be our motivation as we take up our role of making Christ known to those around us. Uh, as we close, let me, let me give you some examples of, of people responding uh, to God's grace, to his holiness, by living distinct lives. Uh, the mother who, who joins a midweek mums group just to tell people about Jesus. The family who's intentional about opening up their home to get to know their non-believing neighbours. Uh, the person who gives up a higher-paying job because it takes them away from fellowship with God's people. The child who, who sticks it out at a tough school because they know they're witnessing to non-believers. The adult who sticks it up, out at a tough job because they're the only Christian witness there. The person who doesn't partake in workplace gossip because they want to honour God with their speech, to be distinct. Now, these are just some examples of how we might be distinctive. I'm sure there are many more you can think of. Uh, Let me pray that we would be those uh, who are distinctive in response to God's holiness. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God uh, who is committed to us as your people. Well, thank you for showing us this grace uh, by enabling our relationship with you. Father, we recognise that we often fail to live distinctive, holy lives as you call us to. Please would you help us to see your holiness. Please remind us of your grace towards us. Help us respond rightly in our role as a royal priesthood, called to sing your praises to the world around us. Help us to be distinctive as we seek to please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.